and will be thy reign. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, so we're going to start with a question. Um, before that, make sure you have a notebook, piece of paper out where you can write down your personal goal. And remember, your personal goal isn't something just to write down. Your personal goal is obviously supposed to be a goal for your seminar. So if your goal is to refer to the text, then during the seminar you're attempting to find a place where you can uh, draw your comment or your question from the actual text itself. So you would point us to the text. A lot of you guys do that already. Everybody will give one word to this question. One word. The question is, which quality is most important for a leader to have? And you can pick one word that you think, so go ahead and write it down in your note, on your notebook piece of paper. One word, which quality, you can only pick one, is the most important quality for a leader to have? If you had to pick one quality, what would it be? All right, who would like to start? Brady, uh, you just say your word and then we'll go around the table. Loyalty. We'll go Gio's way. Uh, I said being wise. Compassion. Kindness. Compassion. Intelligence. Braveness. Loyalty. Protect. Faith. Love. Considerate. Fellowship, honesty, bravery, faith. All right, so now we can open it up to anybody who wants to share why they picked that that quality. I picked fellowship because for a leader to truly connect with the people he's trying to lead, he needs to be friends with them. He needs to be able to listen to them. And when you're listening to someone, you have a fellowship with them. So that's why I said fellowship. Yeah, I think like the whole like compassion, kindness, fellowship, whatever it is, it kind of all fits into the category of being kind and caring about your people. I picked honesty because if I just feel like if you're not honest with the people that you're leading or the group that you're leading or whatever you're like orchestrating or anything like that, like I feel like you need to be honest so that you can like tell the truth to your people and not like lie a lot. Um, I picked intelligence because if someone just didn't know what they were doing, I don't think anyone would trust them, even if they had fellowship. I, I picked. Oh, sorry. I picked kindness because like if a king isn't kind to his people. There's a chance that they won't like want to be his people anymore, and they might rebel or leave. So Plus, his people can get really hurt by that because he doesn't take care of them. Yeah. I chose protect because a good leader would protect his uh, friends, family, his country, 
Yeah, and his army, and himself from anything, from any harm. Mm -hmm. I, I picked braveness because you don't know what's going to happen, and you have to be like ready because you just have to be there for your people. So. I pick loyalty because like the leader can't just like go off and like maybe be like a traitor or something because then like what's going to happen to like their his followers. I think, I think uh, considerate because um, a good leader has to be considerate and like listen to everyone because um, listening to everyone's input is important and I know that if I was in a group I wouldn't want someone just like ignoring everyone and not listening to themselves. Alright, so we'll stop there because um, we'll, we'll be circling back to that question a lot through the story of Moses. So um, it's not necessarily... Uh, it's not necessarily going to be something that we talk about once and then move on from. So we'll keep talking about what makes a good leader. And Moses, as you'll see once we get into the story, Moses has some of those qualities, but he also doesn't have a lot of those qualities. He's kind of a anti-hero in a sense. And we'll learn about that really quickly after we move past this episode that we're currently on. Um, so everybody turn to page 131. So where we left off yesterday was in between, or we were on the first full paragraph on page 131. How much time is between the top paragraph on 131 and that first full paragraph? You don't have to read Well, it any. could be like anywhere from like 18 to 30 years. We don't know. It's basically just a span that, that it keeps him to go up. Okay. So what, what in the text tells you that there's well, that amount of time? Well, for one thing, we know he's... Uh, baby in the last story and it says one day when Moses had grown up and that's the only indication of time we have. Okay good so perfect example of the gaps that are in the biblical text even from one paragraph to another. We have the paragraph at the top of 131 where Moses is a baby and then it jumps into Moses being a grown up and then interfering with this uh, argument here between the Egyptian and the Hebrew. Aaliyah. Um, I feel like whenever it like said like one day when Moses was grown up, I feel like it just went from like, yeah, like when he was a baby to like from him growing up. But why, was there just like nothing in between? So that's why they just said that. Well, what do you think? Do you think there's nothing that happened in his life between the time he was a baby and the time this story? <laughs> I mean like important. Well, why? They would have put it down if it was um, important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but several things, like a bunch of things probably happened. Because, like, in one story, he's just a little baby. The next story, he's, he's like a grown-up. Like, maybe 30. Like, he, he was probably, like, early 20s. Like, so, I mean, Okay, like, so why, why is there a gap? Why did they not include all of the tiny little details in... Moses' life, because certainly the very 
you know, certainly he didn't grow up, skip a bunch of things, or just certainly he wasn't a baby, and then all of a sudden he's a grown man beating up an Egyptian. I mean, I know, I know, like if you added every single detail, it would just be like the entire Bible would be one story, and then you'd have to make like a thousand a Bibles lot of Bibles for like every single story in the Bible. <laughs> I was just confused on like. Why did they just not feel like? I, I feel like because it takes the space. The Bible is a story of God's rescue plan, and in between that time, because God hasn't called him at this point, there's nothing that's particular that has to be there to understand God's rescue plan. Okay, so let's talk about what. Yesterday we left off talking about these first two stories in Moses' life. So he's a baby, and then the very first two stories is him uh, interjecting this argument between an Egyptian and a Hebrew. So why? who can remind us why, why do we think the very first story is the story that takes place in the, the beginning of that paragraph on 131? Will somebody read... Uh, let's just read the whole paragraph, the first full paragraph on 131. Tessa Walk, why don't you read that whole paragraph for us? One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why did you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you prince and a judge over us? You, do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses, was, then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a So who can, who can talk about why is that the first story uh, between the Egyptian, the fight between the Egyptian and the hero, Alex? I think that it's showing that he does feel sympathy for them or he does know that that's his people. Well, I think that that the um, people who told him that, oh, are you going to kill us like you that like you strike down the Egyptian? Well, let's just stay just with the first fight between the Egyptian and the Hebrew. Why is that there first? Don't don't talk about the Hebrew and the Hebrew fighting. Well, I think just I, the yeah. Egyptian and the Hebrew. I think that it's there because, well, it's to show that he's not he doesn't like the cruelty that the Hebrews are going through. And like he's really like he doesn't like it, and he does, and he wants it to end. Yeah, I think it's. I some. feel like um, the reason. Well, he wasn't just like that sucks for you. You didn't get saved by an Egyptian or get to be a prince. I think he felt bad, and he didn't want his people to be beat up because he he probably like imagined like what if that was me or something. I think he, he's um foreshadowing, kind of like how he's going to, like, take the Israelites back and, like, save them from slavery. Yeah, I think, like, yeah, that's good. Um, like, he saved this one Hebrew man, 
from the Egyptian, it shows that he's going to save all of the Israel people from the Egyptians. I agree, and I also think I agree with all you guys, and I also think we have it because it gives him the reason to run away. Because it was just like one day he ran away in the desert. It's kind of like why? Yeah. I yeah. Think. So the the it's very specific why that's the very first story, and Brady. Um, hit the nail on the head when he said that this is foreshadowing foreshadowing Moses' role in uh, Israel, within the people of Israel. And uh, clearly Moses probably went through some sort of identity crisis growing up as an Egyptian and then realizing that he's a Hebrew and all that. Um, but either way, this is beginning to show his allegiance. But then we come to the very next story, so if you look on page 131, right after that one, right after the story with the Egyptian and the Hebrew, it says, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he, and he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And then he fled. So why is that the very next story? before uh, Moses' life. Because it, like, um, it tells, kind of going on with George's point, um, it gives him a reason why to flee, and then it also gives a reason for God to come to Moses a little bit later, and it, like, makes, like, how God calls to Moses, like, it was kind of God's plan how he fled because, like, if he didn't beat up that Egyptian, like, the whole head of the story of Moses wouldn't be the same. Like, when he, if he, if he beat up the Egyptian and then fled, he knew that Pharaoh would come to kill him. So but could God not have still called Moses out even if he didn't kill the Egyptian? I mean, whenever he was striking, whenever like he came up and he was like, "Why do you strike your companion?" <clears throat> I feel like he was thinking, like, I literally just saved this, like says he looked this way and that and seeing no one he struck down the Egyptian so either he saw wrong and there were people there or it was the guy it was the Hebrew yeah because he if he sees that he's probably going to tell someone Hebrew that said, he just killed the Hebrew someone. was the one that said that 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 um, um, the Hebrew was the struck down the Egyptian so if it was a Hebrew then it was either the Hebrew that was being beat or 
the Hebrew that was being told to mm -hmm. so Either way, a rumor began to spread about Moses. But let's get back to what, so Brady talked about how the, that first story with the Egyptian and the Hebrew foreshadowed something that was going to happen. So how does this next story also foreshadow something that's going to happen with Moses and his role in it's Israel? It's because his people will like later on like kind of turn on him because when he brings them up to the walking head missile, like in the wilderness, it foreshadowed that like his people will kind of turn on him. Because okay. like, one of the text said, like, this will happen, and also later in the text, it would say that, like, these people said, why have you bring us out of Egypt? We'd rather be in Egypt than be out here in the wilderness. Right, so, yeah, you guys probably know how the story goes, and so, Sean's right, as soon as they get into the wilderness, they start to grumble and mumble and complain to Moses that Moses has brought them out into the wilderness <coughs> to kill them, and... Why are you the leader over us and all that? And so both of these stories are strategic in the narrative to point towards Moses' role um, as the leader of Israel. Um, so let's move on from that paragraph to um, the next paragraph here uh, on 131. Somebody read that next paragraph for us, Callie. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Wool, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and they drew water for us and watered our flock. And he said to his daughters, Where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and she called his name Gershom. For she said, I have been for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Alright. So first, first question to think about is are there any motifs popping up or patterns popping up in this paragraph that remind you of previous stories we've read in the narrative? Wait, sojourning, sojourning, because like all like his father, like Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph, they all sojourned in the same kind of land. Okay. Oh, and Jacob, um, Jacob, um, he worked for, um, Laban, I think, for like seven years to marry Rachel, but then he ended up marrying Leah, and then he had to work seven more years to get who to get Rachel. I would kind of like um, to piggyback off. Okay, kind of like piggyback off of Danielle. Um, it's kind of a similar story, but I feel like there's this theme of a woman drawing water and a man helping that woman. Because we have that in the story of when Abraham's servant is looking for a wife for goodness, I can think Isaac. Isaac. Isaac, and then we have that with Rachel and Jacob, and then we also have it now with Moses. And then later, and then later with Jesus. Yeah. I also think. Um, well, I kind of have two like. First of all, Egypt, because it's like been in the last few, I guess. 
Um, but um, <clears throat> I feel like I don't know if this was in other. Yeah, it was in other stories, I guess. But if not, this is like a new one, like naming the like the kids after like what they've been through, I guess. <clears throat> well, like what naming what? <laughs> when that happened very recently, like very, very recently, yeah. like two pages ago. Yeah. Can you remember exactly um, who it was? Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. And then it was, well, the... What did it say? What did the text say? Like she was getting him out of the water and she landed him in the Moses because uh, I I drew him out of the water. Mm -hmm. Right. Wait, I also think that this is kind of foreshadowing because remember when they were in the wilderness, they didn't have any food or water, and Moses um, struck the rod with his Moses struck a rock with his staff, and like water came out, and just as he watered his flock, he was watering his people. Um, were you here? Well, like what Aaliyah said, they named it after something that they did, but they also they've also named it like. I'm pretty sure in the Cain and Abel one, they named it after what they've done. Like, mm -hmm. what the, not what they've done, but something that happened to the kid or something like that. Because Abel was grabbing Cain's foot. Jacob and Esau. Oh, Jacob and Esau. Mm -hmm. Well, Esau was named, why was Esau named Esau? Because he was hairy. Because he was hairy and red. Uh -huh. Esau means so red. And why was named, Jacob, what was the name Jacob mean? He was, so, was grassy and he was skin. Foot or something like that. What? Like that's the right? So they were naming. Life. They were naming them after like either what they've been through or like what, what's bullshit. gonna happen. Mm -hmm. Well, they also in some parts of the Bible they also named their kids, and I don't know if we've had this yet, but I think we've had it somewhere where it's talking about what God has done for them. Or uh, sometimes people name them like, which I think is sad. They'll be like. I know in some parts of the Bible it's like, I'll name him blah, 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 because he he was a pain to the level, whatever. He, you know, like they, they struggled in my room or like, right. yeah. yeah. Like Jacob. Uh-huh, like how they were born, kind of. Right. Um, good, so any other thoughts or questions on that paragraph before we move on to the next one? Nope. So the last paragraph here in our episode is... Um, begins with during those many days. Somebody read that for us, Aaliyah. During those many, many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. They cried for rescue from slavery. The, their cry of, for rescue from slavery came out to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered this covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So, what sticks out to you all about this last paragraph? What Anything stick out to you? What sticks out to me is the part how God remembers the covenant, and then... It just says God knew, and then it stops right there. And we stopped right there. But like we all know 
what's going to happen. But like, it's kind of like saying that God remembers something and then, yeah. My favorite at the end is where it, where it just says God knew. Because God knows everything. He knows it's going to happen. He knows that his people are suffering. He knows that he's going to deliver them. And he knows that he's going to use Moses for that. He just knows. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think one thing that I find important in this, and this seems kind of, out of all, it doesn't seem important, but it says, during those days, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, comma, and the people, and it goes on to explain it off people. But I feel like the king of Egypt died is an important thing to know, because it's kind of saying, even when, as another king comes on, the labor is getting worse. The suffering of the people is getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. You, like you if you were, if you were watching this, remember we talked about trying to visualize it. If you were watching this as a movie rather than just reading it, just listen to how they explain the, the experience of the people. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue came, their cry for rescue rescue from slavery came up to God so you get this picture of you know if you were filming this you would just hear you know who knows how many thousands of people crying out for help and rescue from God it's kind of like prayers going up to heaven in some way because like whenever I picture it all I would see is like the people of Israel in Egypt maybe like working and then one of them just starts groaning and then all of them start groaning mm -hmm. and then all you see is like rays of light or something coming down and then you can just hear it and then it just says God knows. Mm -hmm. So what motif, <laughs> what motif is in this paragraph? That God keeps his promises? God's everlasting knowledge. So it's a motif we have. Um, it's a motif. Oh, God's promise for Abraham and his. Which is called what? God's covenant. covenant. God's, God's covenant, covenant. Right. So make sure you're writing covenant motif next to that paragraph in your book. Make sure you're writing that in there. Anytime you see a motif pop back up, you need to be add. You need to be making a mark next to it so that you're building up that awareness of when these motifs pop up in the text. So what is the what is the, the role or the importance of the covenant in this part of the narrative? Um, I think it really plays a big part because um, God doesn't forget about us. He's always remembers about us. He doesn't leave us. Even when we feel like sometimes we're alone, God's always with us. So he's always remembering that promise that he had uh, back in the beginning with um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What makes this covenant, this reference to the covenant significant, though, if you think of the, the time frame of the narrative so far? Because we've had the covenant pop up a lot with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's story, and even Joseph's story. But what makes, what makes it significant or different now in, in that we're in I Exodus? Because, uh, like, basically, uh, he said he would, like, the land of Canaan to all Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Kelly had said, they all basically had, well, God promised them the land of Canaan. So God would not forget them to like deliver them out of Egypt to go to Canaan, because that was their land. So when's the, when's the last time we've heard the covenant referenced? And the... Where he told is um, Israel that all this land, I mean, where he told... Moses, that all this land will be yours. 
or someone no, else? Jacob. Jacob, Jacob. I found it. The last um, he's like, all the land of Canaan, and he said, all this land will be yours, um, and it will what be your nation. It's on 122, the last that we heard it was when um, Joseph, wait, I think it was, one of them was dying, and he was like blessing his son. Jacob, who died. It was Jacob, who died, and he was um, re-blessing his son. Okay, so, mm -hmm. if the last time, we let's just say the last time the covenant's brought up mm -hmm. sometime in the life of Jacob or Joseph, how long has it been that the covenant's not been mentioned? About 400 years. Yeah. At least 400 years. So think about the time, think about how old America is. Anybody remember? 244. Yeah, 44. 244, I think, is what we decided. So imagine living in, a, in, in some place, generation comes, generation goes, no reference to the covenant. Generation comes, generation goes, no reference to the covenant. Generation comes, generation goes, no reference to the covenant. And But you remember through these people passing on the, the, these stories that God had made this covenant to our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Like how, how would you, if you were an Israelite, would how would your reaction be to being in Egypt in that time and in, in, in trying to remember the covenant? Do you think you would have a positive attitude? Do you think you'd have a negative attitude? What do you think? I mean, I would be like, I would really be like, attitude, I guess? Like, I'd just be like doing my work and then just thinking like, God, are you gonna fulfill this promise because we're all waiting? Like, come on, we got, we don't have, like, forever, we're down here working, like, really hard. When are, when are you going to come? And then I'd get, like, really anxious, and then I'd get angry, and then, like, after a generation goes, and then you're dead, then, like, the next generation would be, like, we've been waiting 400 years, how much longer? And then Moses comes, and then they do it, and then they're happy. slavery for, for your whole life. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to go leave unless you're poor, unless you get sold somewhere, somewhere in, or somewhere else. So how do you guys do when you're like waiting on dinner and you're hungry? No. 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 I just do something to distract me. Do you ever mumble and complain? Yes. yes. Not, not really. No. I just eat for you, I never feel hungry. Or what if you're waiting, you're wait, you're in a car ride, Ow. and remember the first hour is oh, great. Yeah. Fourteen hours. Like, oh to yeah, here. we're driving to From New York, Mi Michigan, or New York, and then you get to hour three, and you're like, how long do we have? Yeah, I know, right? How long do we? Have? And then for seven hours straight, you're asking how long, how long, how long. Then you're like, and then you're sleeping, you can't. The last hour is exciting. So the first hour and the last hour. I no, really it's not the last time. hour. It's I watched the last like six movies. Minutes, you're sitting there and you're like, 
you wake up from like your nap or something, and your mom's like, okay guys, 45 minutes, and you're like, okay, and you go back to bed, and then you wake up, and she's like, 15 minutes, and you're like, oh, we're almost there, and you get so excited, and then you like start looking out the window, and you're like, oh, are we there yet? Are we get there yet? So, and then we get there. Yes. So, and then you get bored. So, God oftentimes is cultivating, attempting to cultivate patience in his people. And we see that here, even, even though, do you guys remember if it was foretold to somebody how long, how long they might be in Egypt? Do you guys remember if anybody, no. if God told anybody that? It was Abraham. I'm pretty Can sure. Can somebody find it, maybe, possibly? Like, Brady? Wasn't it 300 years? judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions so the story that we're now reading was foretold even back Wait, to 400 years yeah. ago so 400 years ago they told a guy once that this is going to happen and you you know you hope that maybe they would remember that but even if you know that is that going to make those 400 years easier even no. You know? no it doesn't make it any easier because you won't know um, when the 400 years starts right well also well if you do know true. when it starts like you're still gonna be like if you knew when it starts and you were alive at the start you know you're gonna be in slavery your entire life so. right that's sad. You're going to be in Egypt for 400 years. <laughs> yeah. All right. And you pass it on down, you're like, yeah, we got 100 years left. Yeah, you're not going to see whatever we go to. Any final questions?